Tom Armour, Director of Landscape Architecture for Arup, and um, he's been instrumental in the Cities Alive Rethinking Green Infrastructure series and has delivered a number of exciting projects. And I'm here to talk to him today about some of the challenges and opportunities of integrating tree pits, suds, and the wider green infrastructure into our urban environment and the hard landscape. So I'll hand it over to you, Tom, to tell us a little bit more about your work and what you're excited about for the future here at Arab. Okay, thank you very much. I think um, we're living in times of great change, and especially so in our cities. And I think this is where... I think the exciting thing for me is that this is the time really for landscape architecture and for really rethinking our environments, um, especially in, in urban areas. Um, where cities are experiencing this rapid urbanisation. We have um, so health and well-being crisis, I think it's fair to say, and we have to address that. The conditions we have in many of our cities are intolerable, really, for and certainly not allowing um, populations to thrive. I'm talking here about urban heat and about pollution and all of these type, types of things. Uh, the second thing we have is climate change. Uh, this is going to be enormous, I think, and we have to really, really, really begin to think about how we're going to deal with climate change because we, we can see the impacts every day in, um, on the news and we see the, the huge impacts it's having on urban environments and um, this is set to get, you know, increase in the future, so we really need to think about that. And then the third big thing, I think, for, for me, is um, that the, we have an ecological crisis, nicely described by David Attenborough, I think, on many of his programmes, and he's really brought that to the attention of the world, I think, really. And we have to, again, do something about that, uh, and we have to make sure that the conditions we create in our cities are, are suitable for us, suitable to help cities survive, um, as places to live, places to work, places to visit, and that they're also economically that they they also work successfully as well. Um, and I think this is really where um, we can begin to think how differently and how we can really um, push forward with some new ideas and different ways of, of doing things and thinking thinking about our environment. I think just for example. Um, on if we're thinking about uh, the benefits of green infrastructure, and this is why we produced our Cities Alive report, we began to realise the huge benefits, just simply the role of trees within an urban environment, and they have such a positive impact in terms of um, heat, in terms of reducing pollution, in terms of creating environments that people want to visit, want to work in, want to live in. Um, and therefore we begin to need to harness that kind of power, the power of, of, of the natural environment really, um, and connect people with, with, um, with it every day really. So that, that's, that's, for me, although we have these big challenges, I think it's also a massive opportunity to really improve our cities all, all around the world. And I think it's a, it offers a good way forward. Um, but what it will need is, it will need a completely different way of doing things. Exactly. And do you find it hard to sell that to your diverse range of clients? Because obviously when you talk about the sort of need for cities to be an economic hub and, and to drive our fast developing um, economies across the world and you've got a, a very diverse client set, how do you sell it to them? Um, how it's... do you make that economic <laughs> argument? Well, landscape is always a hard sell. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I've had that over my <laughs> career from day one. 
Um, but I think what you've got to sell are the benefits. And, and, the, the, and I think there's one fundamental thing, really, I think about landscape, um, about landscape design, landscape architecture, public realm, etc. And that is that we have to create, uh, or we have to think about the function of, of, of nature within that. And that if we can harness those functions for shade, shelter, all of these types of things, slowing down water, um, creating environments that can temporarily flood and all this sort of thing, then we can begin to um, make environments that are going to work and be successfully, not only environmentally, but will help kind of social interaction and will also help drive sort of economic success. Because everybody wants to live in a green place. I think it's a, it's a human, basic human need, really, to be connected with nature. And therefore, we need to kind of rethink that. Um, in terms of selling that, I think the big thing for me is that many clients and many people, they, we still tend to think of landscape as something that comes after and as something decorative. And we have to turn that on its head and we have to start thinking about its functions and that the fact it's multifunctional. So we can have city spaces uh, with trees, um, with uh, an environment that can temporarily flood, that's flexible to changes in weather, that's flexible to changes in climate, that can, can work through a flood so that, we, you know, elevated walkways and that sort of thing, so we can kind of, or raised areas that, that won't flood, uh, that we can still, you know, encourage people to, to walk um, and the city to continue during events. And I think we have to just create city environments which are far more flexible to change um, and think about them, uh, the conditions in the future. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a very complex thing, um, but I think we, what we normally start when we, we talk to clients, I think we normally start, we, we, we talk about the function of landscape um, and then we look to sell the environmental benefits and the social benefits of creating better environments, which is obviously part of, part of your work as well, and then how that can then drive economic success. And it's about creating environments that are, are both attractive um, but also are, are highly functional. So they're able to operate in lots of different conditions and they're able to respond to lots of different shocks and stresses. So is maintenance a huge consideration when you start a design? Because that's one of the questions we often get asked at Green Urban. How much do, work do we have to put in after you finish yeah. your design? How much do we have to put yeah. in in the long term? People don't like that sort of long term no, well, management, do they, really? No. Well, this is often the, this is often the problem, really, is, is that the, the, the chief excuse for not putting landscape in is maintenance. But my argument with that is that nobody ever questions... Um, you maintaining a piece of city infrastructure like lights, drainage systems, traffic lights, or anything no. like that. Nobody would question that, would they? No, Nobody says, well, obviously you've got to maintain it. And my argument is that as landscape um, is, creating, is, is, a, is creating a service, providing a, a whole range of services for us, if you think about a, a large species tree in in an urban area, that's doing all sorts of things for us. It's providing biodiversity, it's creating shade and shelter, it's creating an attractive environment, it's slowing down and protecting us from rain, uh, rainfall and, and, and events like that. It's purifying our soil, um, purifying the water by, by filtering and, and all of these sorts of things and creating a healthy city environment. So we know just from looking at the global research that trees in cities are just so valuable uh, carbon sequestering, all of these many, many things that they do, why wouldn't we maintain them? <laughs> why wouldn't we put an investment into maintaining them? So that's my argument, is that 
we have to think of landscape as a, as a functional, something that's highly functional. Uh, in fact, I, what I normally say when I do presentations, I, I normally say we have to think of it as a high-performance infrastructure. So landscape is part of the city, uh, and it's a, an infrastructure that's multifunctional in the same way that IT, water, waste, energy, and all these other things are as part of a city environment. We have to think of it as a, an essential component of that because of the, of the many services it provides. And therefore, we need to maintain it. And, and the maintenance is just part of maintaining the services that, that it provides. That's an excellent argument. And I suppose we've developed tools, um, particularly here in the UK, I suppose one of the most popular is iTree, I suppose. Mm. Um, and I know that in the States, that urban forestry movement is very well established. But how, obviously, you work across schemes all over the world. How do other countries measure the benefits of green infrastructure? Are there disparities there? or Obviously, data is a huge part of making the argument and doing the sell. Yeah. Um, are there any sort of insights into maybe how we can manage that and measure it better? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a nice point. I think, I think the iTree has been um, a, a, an excellent programme, really. Um, and it, it, because it, it, does, it does what we were talking about earlier, and that is measures the benefits properly the functional it gives benefits people a value, and it gives it? you a value and we work in a we live in a in a world of money don't we <laughs> and uh, therefore you know we 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 have to um somehow provide those figures back so that economists can understand it and those sort of things i would like to see some of those values appear more in cost benefit analysis analyses of projects so that people can we can put the value on it because a, a large species tree in an urban area as part of a public realm will provide, to me, will provide immediate benefits but will provide those benefits over a long, long time period. So it begins, I think we need to begin to measure those, bring that into the kind of system. Um, I, don't th- I think the iTree provides a good, consistent way of, of um, uh, in, in a way, uh, 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 as it provides a good, consistent way of now analysing your your resource, your green infrastructure resource. I think the problem is for lots of cities around the world, they don't even know what they've got to start with. That's the problem. And, and, to make the interventions. Exactly. What what you need, any sensible person looking at there would think of it as a resource, and then you would analyse that resource and say, right, what do we need? What do we need now in the future? So um, we were part of the um, London in- Infrastructure Plan 2050, and this was looking at. Uh, with the GLA, and this was looking at uh, the, the effects of, of the potential rising population in London, which I think is eight and a half million now. Potentially by 2050, it could be up to 13 million, and anywhere in between 8.5 and 13. So, how is the city going to cope with that? And of course, this looked at energy transport and all of these things, but really importantly, we also managed to, to get in there uh, working with the um, the GLA, we managed to get green infrastructure with its own chapter, which I have to say I was very proud of. Um, That's a, a huge kit. It was, and we worked with the green, the green. I can't remember the exact title, but with working with Peter Messini. The Green Infrastructure Task Force. Yes, yes we've done yeah, some yes. work with them and as well. They, they're a fantastic group, uh, and led by Peter Messini in London. We worked very closely with him, and um, I think what was the great thing on that was that we actually managed to establish green infrastructure with a chapter of its own. So at last it was being seen in this plan as, as important and as vital to the future of the city, its economy, its health, its environment, along with water, waste, transport, IT and energies, which I think was a great, great kind of move forward really. So I was, I was 
very pleased about that that project and to me it pointed the kind of way the way forward i'm not sure how other cities um, i know in america there's quite a few cities who've done i tree um, there's a move here in leeds to do to do an i tree for leeds um, this week i had a meeting with um, uh, city of trees in manchester mm-hmm. who are a fantastic group in manchester yeah, we've- um, I'm sure you're aware of them, um, and what they're looking at an eye tree in Manchester as well, and we're, we're trying to to help with that. And again, it's all part of valuing what you have, but that to me is just the start. You then need to kind of build on that. Say, right, what do we then need? Have the action plan. Yeah, what's the plan? action plan? Absolutely. Right. We have this this percentage canopy cover. We need to increase it by X. You know, how do, we by, how do we get there? And how do we build that into mm-hmm. the planning system? And how do we actually um, do all this? We did some work um, with the Madrid City Authority in Madrid, a scheme called, um, it was called Madrid, in English it's called Madrid, more, na- uh, more natural Madrid. Uh, okay. They call it Madrid plus natural. Um, and this was a, a whole vision for Madrid. And we looked at, we had some workshops with the city council and we had, we've just produced thousands of green infrastructure ideas, green and blue infrastructure ideas, and also ideas about how buildings can also contribute to a better environment um, with, with green walls, green roofs, space on buildings for wildlife, um, space on, and use green walls to reduce pollution, all sort of these ideas. So how to bring buildings into there. And we came up with a whole range of kind of actions for Madrid, um, which could be enacted um, by, by the local authority, by developers, by individuals, by communities. Um, and these range from anything as simple as painting your roof white to reflect more sunlight to reduce the, the temperature of your building, a very simple solution, all the way through to, um, I think we were looking at schemes where we were uncovering rivers um, and re- redefining rivers and redefining a kind of water population, um, and where we were also looking at using the space in a lot of infrastructure, so where you have lots of big road systems, planting those up as urban forests, so that you kind of, over time, you build up your resilience in the city. So we had a whole range of different ideas, I think there were about 30 or 40 ideas, and then people could enact these over time. And this was all based on what I think you always need, which is a big vision. So London has the old London Green Grid, which is a tremendous piece of planning. Um, and this is all about connecting up London's mm. water and connecting up the, the, the greenways and, and, and making safe routes for pedestrians and cycles and connecting all the green space together so it all kind of works as a big network and as a system. Um, I think I think that's also the aim of the National Park the uh, for London, National which Park. is another idea, great idea. I think the National Park for London really should just link with the old London Green Grid and be part of the same story. Yes, yeah, so lots of things happen sort yeah. of fragmented and yeah. all joined together. But but I think this is where this is why I think what you need for a city is, is you need to analyse your resource. Then I think you need a plan, and you need a big vision. It can just be a in fact the Madrid plan was a plan of Madrid. And it, and it was kind of almost like a piece of artwork. <laughs> so it just suggested, it suggested a greener Madrid, a, a kind of more healthy Madrid. And it was just really to get people behind it 
so then they could look at these ideas and then enact and enact them, and developers could enact them as part of their scheme, uh, you know, the, as their future schemes. And we could also then look at also retrofitting, which is so important as part of this story as well. But I think the other big, the other great thing about having a vision for a city, whether it's a more natural Madrid or whether it's a, um, a national park for London or all London Green Grid or whatever you call it for whatever city. Give it a name, City of Trees in Manchester, um, give it a name and then people can kind of get behind that and you can focus your resources, you can focus your money um, and you can focus your funding and, and actually try and achieve something. Mm. But what, what I think is important about that idea is it can all be done over time. Because I think one of the problems is you can't just quickly change can't things. You have, to, you have to find a way where you can incrementally build these benefits up over time. Absolutely. So... I think there was a scheme in there's an Austrian city called um, you pronounce it's spelled G R A Z. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a second city of Graz, maybe. I don't know. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But they have a green infrastructure plan called the Green Net. Yes, they're part of the EU Perfect project with the TCPA uh, at the moment. Yeah, which is a great project. So they again have a, a vision for their city. They have a beautiful kind of green hinterland, and their idea is to bring that hinterland into the city. So. Um, Anyone who develops apparently anything in, in Graz now has to contribute to this green net. So in other words, they either build part of it as part of their development or they give, give money to, to the, to the, to, for, for things to be built as part of, that, as part of that green net. And I think that's a great kind of way forward. Um, another good example of that is in Berlin, the, what they call the Berlin biotope factor. Um, which was when uh, Berlin unified, the, the east of Berlin was very stark. I think there was barely a tree in the place, and so what they were looking at is how can we how can we better um, green Berlin in the centre of, of, of the city, and they had this thing called the biotope area factor, so that any development that went on, the developer had to put in a certain uh, amount of either. Um, uh, suds, so it was just kind of an area, there's an area calculation for suds or permeable surfacing or canopy cover with trees or green walls or green roofs. Uh, a certain level of biodiversity had to go back into the into the in, with their development, mm-hmm. and there was a formula which I can't remember, um, but the the formula was to do with the size of their plot and they had to achieve a certain certain percentage. But the great thing about it was it was really flexible. So in other words, one developer could maybe just put put in loads of a certain nice sort of scheme, permeable payment, and get the city kind of draining much better. Um, and that was a kind of nice way way forward. And I think London have been the adopting London that. Yes, got this with the urban yes greening exactly. Factor. Uh, the urban greening factors now, that's been developed from the Berlin factor, and that's another great, again, it's another great um, initiative. I'm not sure whether it's part of the actual planning mechanism, whether it's... A it's within their green infrastructure yeah. policy, and I think what's interesting is they've actually really got the scoring right this time, okay, so that different tree pits are, are given a different score depending on right. how well they're in, integrated yeah. or whether they're an engineered solution and green walls and suds have got a different score. So it enables developers to choose how they go about the process. Yeah, I think that's, and yes, yeah, I think that's a really good way forward, isn't it? Because it ties into the planning process but it gives enough flexibility so a developer can choose how they want to take it forward, which I think is what we need to do. So the system, if you like, for building the green, green infrastructure back into cities needs to be kind of 
is have a mechanism for flexibility, but a mechanism so it can be achieved to an overall strategy, but over a long, you know, it's kind of a long time period. Um, but but so it's, it's that thing, that incremental thing, is is very important, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think not only that, but we did some. I believe you also worked on some work on the Olympic Park as well. We did. One we of did. our one of the great projects we worked on was the Olympic Park. Seems a long time ago now. It does, um, doesn't it? But that was a great kind of um, collaboration, really, between lots of different consultants, lots of different landscape projects involved. Of course, we were involved with the um, South Park, um, but there was some great work done on the park generally, in terms of looking at how flood protection could be um, built into that. And we look at this on other infrastructure projects we're working on. We, we look at ways, how can you build in better flood protection? And if you look in the north of the park, um, the, the footpaths are all raised above the general level and the park temporarily floods. So within that kind of redevelopment, uh, flood protection was built in. And of course, biodiversity was weaved into it, and then that connects with the whole of the Lee, Lee Valley Park. So I think on every project, and I think even in the hardest urban projects, we have to just just needs to become the norm. It needs to become the the you know in the same way that green infrastructure needs to become a kind of mainstream. We need to become mainstream green infrastructure. Yes, so it's a, a little bit behind the times with that, isn't it? I, I think it is because I think it's seen as uh, nice if we can do it. And engineers Whereas, have to have the argument made over yes, and over again. Yeah, exactly. And, and we need to think, no, this just needs to be a standard. The standard thing we do is we create, in a city development, we create a permeable surface. It's the first consideration. And I think there's all sorts of different ways of doing that. Um, um, but we, we must be much, we must be much um, stronger in kind of pushing, pushing for that, really, and making sure that we... We create those environments which are much more, as I say, from the start, we need to create environments which are much more flexible and able to kind of take shocks and stresses. They're able to temporarily flood. So even if, you know, a hard um, urban kind of square or a hard urban uh, place, I think, you know, let, let, they can flood. We can make them flood and then we can then send the flood water slowly back down. I still think they've done lots of good work in Holland, uh, especially places like Rotterdam, which are very, very hard, and they've looked at water roofs, so just roofs that hold water, will temporarily flood, hold, you know, um, uh, say 100, 200 mil of water, and then slowly that goes back into the system. So, again, it's about making these flexible mm-hmm. flexible environments, flexible public realm, flexible. Yes. We've had a lot more um, mm. We've had a lot more inquiries about blue roofs as well, so using ah, side good. tree pits on rooftops, and it's becoming much more of a way of mitigating at the first instance and intercepting. Yeah. yeah, and again, it's, I mean, absolutely right. I mean, it's about using the space we have in our cities, isn't it? And if you think... Everywhere available. Yeah, I know. To be. And, and I remember there was a nice study done by the... Victoria Business Improvement District. Oh, yes, yeah, with where, True Economics. Yeah, with True Economics. And they were looking at the roofs in, in Victoria, which is, of course, a very hard area of London. And they worked out you could get something like 25 hectares of usable roof, which could be flood protection, slowing down water. You could put green infrastructure in there. You could, put, uh, you could make areas for wildlife. Um, but whatever you do, you, you can use that space, 25 hectares, to slow down water, to provide better um, environments for people, for wildlife, 
and just kind of use the space we have in the city um, because often rooftops, I'm just looking out over the roofs of Leeds now and I'm not seeing very much green, um, but usually they're the kind of home to air conditioning units and plants, aren't they? Whereas I think we need, we need to rethink that really and, and think how can we better use the space in our buildings. And use, and use all surfaces on buildings, really. And I think we have the technology now, especially you know, with, with, with the type of thing that, that, that you do. Um, we have the technology now to be able to support um, uh, plant life in, in, in what would be considered more difficult conditions. And I think we, shouldn't, we, should, we need to use this technology. So it's kind of combining old technology with, with new technologies, I think, to, to create a more flexible city.